Good morning. It's good to see you all. Just a personal welcome from myself as well. It's just great to see everyone. We're going to get into the book of Acts today, and I'm very excited about it. I don't know how long we're going to be in the book of Acts. Obviously, we love the Word. We love the Word of God, but there's a profound truth in the book of Acts, just the emphasis on the Holy Spirit. And so I wonder if before we do that, I wonder if we could pray. You know, whenever we approach the Word of God, I believe with all my heart that, how do I explain this? Imagine you got to read Lord of the Rings. I don't read novels, so I, I just don't know. My sister all my life told me that I should. I haven't obeyed yet. Imagine you got to read those novels with the author, right? That would carry a lot more meaning. Well, you get to do that every day with the Scripture. But unfortunately, many people don't approach this word with the Spirit. It's more like a book. And I just want to encourage you to get into the Word of God as much as you can. But go with the Holy Spirit. Amen? Heavenly Father, I thank you that you are supreme. That you have all power, all authority. I thank you for your love for your people, Lord. I thank you that they are your people. They are your people. This is your church, your body. I thank you, Lord. Holy Spirit, I pray your presence, even as we enjoy to worship. But I pray your presence and your glory would begin to settle very strongly, Lord, as we look at your word. In Jesus' name, amen. I wonder if you could turn to the book of Acts chapter 1. I'm going to do my best today to follow some semblance of notes, but there's just much that God has been doing in my heart. We often hear people talk of the early church, and we hear of people say things like, oh, we need the power of the early church. And they're all true, and we do need that. But I, I think we're very quick to say what we long for from the early church, but it's very difficult to actually understand fully what was actually happening in the book of Acts. And so I've begun to study it for the last little while. The Lord told me to study it, and I've gone and looked at most of it in the original language, which obviously takes some time. And I want to just say... If we could open our hearts, who has heard or has longed at some point to see today what we see here? All right. I wonder if we could just open our hearts to the book because it's, yes, it's his word, but there's also some things in here that are not fun, the best way I can put it. So we're going to go to the book of Acts, and we're going to look at it as if to understand what was happening in that day. This is something that we often neglect. What was happening in the day, on the ground? with Jewish people. What did it look like for them? We read it, we've read it before, we know what the words say. But what did it look like for them? What was permeating the culture? What was happening in the hearts of the people? What was actually going on? And there's some fundamental things that if, unless we, in a sense, color the book of Acts, unless we color what was actually happening here. For example, there was this moving away from the system of law, of the Jewish law. Now there's the moving away from that into what they didn't know what what. What are we going into? They had no concept. Okay, so that's done, but what does that mean? What does that mean? Because they were, in a sense, they were dictates of the law that described everything that they did, how they dressed, how they got married, how they ate. Everything was, in a sense, laid out for them. Now what? Just try and imagine that, if you've grown up with that thousands of years. Now what do I do? And you'll go through the book of Acts and you start to see this phenomenal emphasis on the Holy Spirit. 
this phenomenal emphasis on the Holy Spirit. They would say, well, it's between you and the Holy Spirit. And obviously there were there are many different things we're going to get into. Today I might make some shocking statements that if you hear what I'm not saying, I can get in trouble. I'm asking you to trust my heart. Because some of the things we're going to have to unpack in the coming weeks, it's impossible for me to get into it all in one week. So, I'm going to read the first 14 verses, and then we're going to go back. It says here, the former account I made, O Theophilus. Now, what struck me, one quick thing, is that this, the book was written by a doctor, Luke, who traveled with Paul. I think he meets up with Paul. I think it's in Acts chapter 16. He is called Paul's companion. He, Paul called him the beloved physician. I think they met up in Troas. Just an incredible man. He was known in, historically in rabbinical writings as an, in, in a phenomenal scholar of languages and, and so forth. So he writes this letter. He does extreme research for years. Interviews people. does a lot of research. Obviously, it's kind of... The book of Acts in the commentaries was also known as the Gospel of the Holy Spirit. And it's written by a Gentile, Luke, from that perspective of as someone who didn't grow up in a sense based on the law. And it's written from this perspective of new covenant only. It's incredible. And then it's very interesting to me that he also obviously wrote the book of Luke. The book of Luke is addressed to the same man. Then he calls him most excellent Theophilus, and he says how much care he took that he said his writings are exact. He actually says that in the book of Luke. What struck me was the length this man went to to write two letters that took years for one person, for one man. You think of the extraordinary love that God had put in this heart, not just for this man, but for for the gospel. He took all these years to write what was inspired and became the scripture. I don't think he knew he was writing scripture. But he took all that care for one person. That blows my mind. Doesn't it? It's amazing. He says, of all that Jesus began both to do and to teach until the day in which he was taken up after he through the Holy Spirit had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen. He says there, of all that Jesus began. To them, we have to understand, we say Jesus is alive. We're like, yeah, we know Jesus is alive. But you weren't there. If you were there, you would understand what that meant. He was seen by over 500 people. He was dead. Now he's alive. He had the marks of death on his body and his hands, his feet and his side. He walked around. So he says, of all that Jesus began to do and to teach, but he uses the word began. Even though the Bible is called, we call this the Acts of the Apostles, in their mind, it was still the ministry of Jesus Christ. It was the ministry of Jesus Christ, but now through people. We have to understand that. He said that Jesus began. In other words, the rest is still what Jesus is still doing today. It's not accredited to them. It's credited to him. That's how they saw it. That's how they looked at it. He says, until the day in which he was taken up, after he through the Holy Spirit had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering, made by many infallible proofs, being seen by them during 40 days, and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, 
you have heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. What did it mean when he said, I sent the promise of my Father? I don't think we understand. The requisite for the disciple or the apostle who was going to place Judas, they had to be there where Jesus was baptized. So they had to be there. So we have to understand when he said, go and wait and I will send you the promise of the Father. To them, that was like this. We're going to get what you have. They weren't wrong. That's what it meant for them. We're going to get what you have so we can do what you do. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? They missed it completely. They're still thinking, yes. I mean, imagine what they're thinking here. Because you understand, this is a very mystical age, right? The god of Pan, I mean, out of Greek mythology, Roman mythology, you understand. So now they have this man, the way they see, and he rises from the dead. They're like, this is awesome. Because the Bible describes a government and a kingdom that has no end in the Old Testament, which they knew. They're like, oh, he's going to rule forever. And we get to be the first ones they're going to rule with him. Good for us. That's what they thought. Oh, you just come going to, you know, restore what David did and now, and you just, it's going to be awesome. It's just going to get, we're going to take over the world, in a sense. Imagine Jesus. He's like, oh. No, that's, that's not the point. And the reason I say this is because we have to see what was happening here, on the ground, in the day. It says, and he said to them, I love it. It is not for you to know the times or season which the Father has put in his own authority. He says, but you shall receive power. So Jesus is talking about the Holy Spirit. He addresses their question like, no. And he goes back to talking about what he was talking about. He's like, you ain't getting it. So, no, don't worry about that. You'll figure that out in a moment when I ascend. <laughs> the moment I'm going to leave you, and then you're going to be like, oh, okay, we got that wrong. So he doesn't even address that in a sense. He says, it is not for you to, to know. He says, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit. He goes back to the promise of the Father. Back to the Holy Spirit. He says, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and all the ends of the earth. Now, when he had spoken these things, while they watched, he was taken up. Imagine that. And the cloud received him out of their sight. And while they stood steadfastly toward heaven, as he went up, behold, two men, obviously angels, stood by them in white apparel, who also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? The same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. Then they returned from Jerusalem, from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey. Why did they do that? It's actually very funny to me. Because it says in Luke 24, when he ascended, they stood there and worshipped. I think we all would. I mean, imagine that worship. Sudden realization, oh, he is God. We missed it. And they start to worship profoundly. Then his voice rings in the head. If you want what I got, it's going to happen in Jerusalem. They're like, hey, guys, let's go back to Jerusalem. So they go back to Jerusalem. And when it says the Sabbath day's walk, it just means about a half a mile. That's something out of the law. 
And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying, Peter, James, and then the list them. They all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the woman. Very important that it says that with the woman, just by the way, for the ladies. Because it was not normal in the Jewish culture. This was an extreme break away from everything Judaic. They weren't allowed in the council. They weren't all these other things. Now, no longer male nor female, but in Christ. And Mary, the mother of Jesus, with his brothers. Very important, again, to understand that his brothers are there. Why? I believe it was the ascension. Some would say the resurrection, probably a little bit of both, but even more so the ascension. His physical brothers from Joseph and Mary were the ones in the Gospels who did not believe him. They were his greatest critics, his greatest skeptics. Why? Because they grew up with him. You grew up with Jesus. You saw him, whatever, growing up. You're God? No, I don't think so. You're the Lord? I don't think so. Now, it says his brothers are there worshiping. Something happened. So there's much we're going to go into. We're going to go back through that in a lot of detail. Probably not today. But I want to look at something that if you look at the book of Acts, you have to peel back a few layers. You know, when you read the scripture, there's, there's many layers. And if we could peel back a few layers and look at the pervasive attitudes of a human heart that was actually taking place with these people. Why do I say that? Because we all say we long for the book of Acts, but there's attitudes or beliefs that started to cause them how to function and how to act and how to live and how to be and how to, in a sense, handle things and how to walk this thing out. And these attitudes are not necessarily listed in Scripture, but as I've done an in-depth study and continue to study, we see certain things that even don't happen are very loud. And we're going to get into some of them. The concern I have with going through this list with you, and it's going to take some time, is that this is not things that can take place in a heart even through discipline. These are not things that can take place in a heart through, you know, I'm going to do this. It has to be a deep profound work of God in a human heart. Has to be. And that's as you partner with Him. And as you walk with Him. And as you trust Him. There's a depth that He goes into your heart and begins to change the way you think, the way you see, the way you act, the way you... Everything shifts. And so I'm going to read some of these things out, but in no way am I asking you to try live up to these. I'm just saying, this is what was going on in their hearts. Okay? Number one, pervasive attitudes in the book of Acts is not about us. There was an absolute belief structure in their heart. It is not about us. People, the body of Christ is far too quick to exalt man or the man of God, or the woman of God, and it's a mistake. You don't see that here. To such a degree, in Acts chapter 3, Peter said to the man at Gate Beautiful, the man who was lame for 40 years from birth, over 40 years, he said, look at me, look at us, what I have I give. At the end of the chapter, he says to the people of Israel, this absolutely stunning statement, he says, why do you marvel at this? 
consider what that means. He said, why do you marvel at this? Why is this miraculous thing that this man from birth, lame, that Jesus walked past many times, why does this surprise you? Gives you some understanding of what was happening in that environment. It was normal. He says, why do you marvel at this? And then he says this, why do you look at us as if by our own power or godliness we can make this man well? The disciples believed there were two things that allowed Jesus to operate like he did on the earth. It wasn't his divinity, because he let that go to, to operate like he did. They believed he operated as a man filled with the Holy Spirit, and they believed that he was in perfect submission to his Father, sinless. And Peter touches on both of those things. Why do you look at us as if by our own power or godliness? That's even character, friends. I'm not saying we shouldn't have character. Peter was absolutely convinced. It was the extreme conviction that I can do what I do because of the finished work of Jesus Christ, nothing else. Nothing. That makes me righteous. And because that makes me righteous, I can do this. The power is not sourced in me. The character even is not sourced in me. In Acts 14, they take Barnabas and Paul after amazing miracles. They take Barnabas and Paul and they'll try to worship them, think about this, as Zeus and Hermes. Because they were doing miracles. And says they rent their garments and said, please, please don't do that. There was a, a terror. Uh, and it needs to come back to the church. And I'm not in a legalistic way. There was a terror to touch anything that was the glory of God. You did not touch it. It was not yours. It's not from you. And they would not go near it. That was an attitude that they had. Secondly, and this might challenge some of you, Christ colors the scriptures, not the other way around. What do I mean by that? This is something that was happening to them in a very extreme way. They had read the Bible, their Bible, the, the Old Testament, Torah, and so forth. They had read it, and they had always understood certain things to mean certain things, right? They got it wrong. All of a sudden, they meet the person, the living word, and they realize, oh, we were wrong. Christ colored what the scriptures meant to them. And that might be offensive to some. Why? Because it's still like that, friends. We go to the scripture to understand Jesus. And I understand that, but please hear what I'm saying. You will not understand the scripture without him without a relationship with Him, because unsanctified intellect can puff up. Please hear what I'm saying. It's the relationship. It's the reality of walking with the Spirit, walking with Jesus, knowing Jesus. It changed what they thought the Scripture said. It still happens today. Even though they match completely, the living Word and Jesus, they are the same. You hearing me? Very important. Imagine what that meant for them. They're having to reread, restudy, relook at. What does this mean? We thought it meant that. It means this. Why? Because they met the living word. Number three, there was no fear of man in terms of multiple cultures. So when I say no fear of man, I'm talking 
There's no there was just zero insecurity, zero fear of man. So what are we dealing here? We're dealing with multiple cultures, religious correctness. We're dealing with a blend of Roman power and rule, persistent Greek culture, Jewish law, all of that together. You think we have kind of a melting pot here in this nation? It was much more there. Much more. There's still this Greek, old, the Romans took over from the Greeks, there was still this Greek culture, like very persistent. The Roman rule, Jewish law. They were in the midst of all of this. And yet, there was absolutely no fear of man. None. Whatsoever. To such a degree that in Acts chapter 3, Peter calls the crowd murderers in the temple. Imagine that today. In Acts chapter 4, he says to the Sanhedrin, you choose whom you must obey, you are God. In Acts chapter 5, then he calls them, the Sanhedrin, murderers. He did not do it in such a way as to rebel or, um, you know, fight the system. No, friends. He just did whatever God told him to do, regardless of what happens. He did not care about his reputation. He did not care about what it cost him. He did not care about how he looked. Was never even a question, never a thought, all of them. It was zero fear of man. And today you see and actually I'm not sorry to say this strong you see churches bow to culture to not offend people it's a mistake friends he's the king we long for the book of Acts then the church has got to wake up not fight the system that brings me to the next point there was absolutely no anger show me anywhere there was no anger towards the Jewish temple system, towards the Jewish people, towards the Roman law, towards the Roman system. There was zero anger, zero bitterness, nothing. No marches, no protests, nothing. <laughs> zero. Yet how were they being treated? Well, in Acts chapter 3, I can give you all the scriptures. It says, Peter went up to the temple at the hour of prayer. The funny thing is, it wasn't the hour of prayer. It was, they said, in the, at the ninth hour, which is actually 3 p.m. It was known as the hour of sacrifice in the Jewish culture. There was two sacrifices a week, I mean a day, and that was one of them. So he goes up at the hour of sacrifice. He calls it the hour of prayer. Why? Because there no longer is necessary for a sacrifice. So he goes up to pray, and there's a sacrifice going on, and he does not participate very big statement. He goes up to pray to the living God. They're killing animals still. They're probably, there was something coming at him. He was probably praying for them. Think about what that was in his heart. Yes, his countrymen. He's saying, come on guys. He's come. He's come. He has come. I'm going to run this through with you very quickly. Something out of this one point. I'm not a political person. Please don't react to what I say. If you do, keep it inside your heart. We are not to be angry at the ruling state. We are not. What was it doing to them? Well, let's go look. In Acts chapter 4, verse 1, they were put in custody. Verses 1 to 4, you can see it. They were put in custody... How did they react? They did nothing. Because of their reaction, what did they get to do? They got to preach the gospel to the entire Sanhedrin. 
They saw it as an opportunity. It was not something to fight with politics. They saw it with opportunity. I get to stand now because you've arrested me and put me in custody. I get to stand and preach to all of you. Thank you. They were not afraid of them. They were operating in power with the risen Christ, filled with the Spirit. So then what happens? It says in Acts 4.21, it actually says here, But Peter and John answered and said, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to God more than you, you judge. He says, We cannot but speak of the things we have seen and heard. It says, Then they further threatened them. What would the reaction be today if someone threatened you? Maybe a lawsuit. Maybe something on Facebook. They threatened me. How dare they? They... I'm not trying to offend. We cry for the book of Acts. This is the book of Acts. They threatened. It says they further threatened them. What was their reaction? It says, well, they went home. They prayed for boldness. The place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all freshly filled with the Spirit. That's how they dealt with it. What happens next? I'll go through it quick. They were put in the common jail, Acts 5. Not just custody, common jail with murderers, thieves, Unjustly, they've done nothing wrong. What happens next? Acts 5.33, he gets to preach to them again. Then they said, when they heard this, they were furious and plotted to kill them. Now they threatened with death. First they were threatened. Now they threatened with death. They said, we're going to kill you. Friends, please hear what I'm saying. This is in the Bible. They threatened to kill them. Just think of how we would deal with that. It says... And Gamaliel, one of the, the teachers, one of the, the top guys there, he started to speak. Why is that important? Well, Paul was described as one who sat at the feet of Gamaliel. It's very likely that Paul was there. We don't know. It's likely he was. So they say, we're going to kill you. Then it gets further. It just gets worse and worse. Then they beat them. And they agreed with them when they had called for the apostles and beaten them. That word beaten means to flay skin to beat, to throb, and to smite. What was their reaction? They rejoiced that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. What would be our reaction? Political, legal, and offended at God. God, why did you do this? How can you allow? What's going on? I don't understand. What? There were attitudes in the heart. These are not things that just arrive. It's a profound, deep work that God does in our heart. And then it gets worse. Peter got, to <laughs> Peter got to preach again. Actually, sorry, not Peter, Stephen. In the next chapter, he was falsely accused. I don't mind. I, don't, I really don't mind. I, I've always been like this, strangely, even when I was a very bad person in all the illegal stuff and whatever we were involved in. I didn't mind getting punished for what I did. But I hated to be falsely accused. Stephen gets falsely accused. It actually says here, uh, they stirred up people and the elders and the scribes, Acts 7:12, and they came upon him and seized him, and they set up false witnesses who said, this man does not cease to speak blasphemous words against this holy place and the law and of God. It's just not true. So what does Stephen do? Well, he gets to preach to the entire place again. This is the third sermon that they've heard on the same thing, on the same person, with the same evidence. But now they have to listen. Why? Because it says, just before that, that a great number of priests have become obedient to the faith. Now they're losing priests. Why? Because of the way these guys reacted. They say, how can you be like that when we're doing this to you? 
And then are they losing priests? Aaronic line, Aaron's direct bloodline. They're losing these people to these Christians. They weren't even called Christians yet. So then they think we've got to do something here. We've got to stop this. We've got to do something extreme. So they kill him. They kill Stephen. They stone him to death. So it went from being put in custody to being stoned to death. What happens? Well, Saul, who later becomes Paul, says this is, this is, this is what we need to do. It says there, Saul persecuted the church. I don't think we understand what that means. I really don't. He was tearing families apart. Acts 22 says he was killing both men and women, putting them in prison, tearing parents and children, doing all these things. It's offensive to say, but it's true. Paul was like ISIS. He was, Acts chapter 9, he said he went around with a band of men. He was doing that. So what happened? So everybody ran. Acts chapter 8. They all dispersed from Jerusalem. What did Jesus say? You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria. Everything that happened to one Acts 1 to Acts 8 is in Jerusalem. And they ran. And because they killed Stephen and because of the persecution, they ran. And it says Philip went to Judea and Samaria, the next two. Friends, I didn't mean for this to be a heavy, but they were not there to fight politically at all. They had the Holy Spirit, and they preached Jesus Christ. That's it. No matter what happened, they preached Jesus Christ. And they were filled with power. Think of the mindset today. Very different reaction. What is the fifth attitude that they had? And I'll just run through this quick. That one was they were not angry or bitter at the ruling party, at the ruling state, at the governing, at the government in a sense. What was the fifth one? They believed they had the same power and the same person that Jesus had. They were not wrong. Number six, their rights were irrelevant. Their rights were irrelevant to them. I said that to someone a while ago, a person in ministry, and they said, well, Paul demanded his rights to be listened to in Acts chapter 16, and he went through it. When he was arrested unfairly, and he was a Roman citizen, so he went and said, you can't arrest me, I'm a Roman citizen. He was, in a sense, enforcing his rights. What is actually going on there is there's a baby church, baby little church in Philippi, if you, if you study. There's a baby church in Philippi that's just started. And he knew that public opinion at that time was if someone gets beaten publicly, they think whatever he's involved, he's did something wrong. And whatever he's involved in is not good. And it would have dramatically affected that baby church in Philippi. So that's the only time that he said, the only time, he said, I'm a Roman citizen, you can't do this. And he made them publicly apologize. Why? So that that church would be safe. Nothing to do with him. What else? There was exorbitant generosity exorbitant generosity in the book of Acts, speaking about finances. They were completely self-funded. There was, number eight, absolute obedience. Again, I didn't mean for this to be a heavy. Someone smile. <laughs> there was absolute obedience. Friends, very important, quick thing. There was no flippancy with sin, and not in a legalistic way, because they were moving away from a legalistic system 
We have to see this. They were moving away from the law, but there was no flippancy with sin. Why? Because they were going through something at multiple levels. What does this look like? What do I do? They had watched a man who they thought was a man, in a sense he was, hypostatic union, fully God, fully man. They had watched a man operate like he operated. Why? Because he was in perfect submission to his Father and because he was filled with the Spirit. And he said, I'm going to die so you can be righteous. That's that taken care of. He said, then I'm going to send upon you the promise of my Father. That's that taken care of. That's the way they saw it, friends. They were right. So that when they did this to the man at Gate Beautiful, they said, why do you look at us as if by our own power or godliness we did this? Profound truth that they were walking in every day, every second. But there was also, even though there was the righteousness of God and grace and He loves me no matter what, all true, there was no flippancy to sin. Not because they were legalistic, because in their heart they watched how Jesus lived. They watched how Jesus did it. They watched the price that He paid to defeat it. So it was not something they wanted any part of because of love and devotion, not because of law. In John 3, 34, there's a description. I'm not saying that we can be Jesus. Please hear my heart. I'm not, because that's not true. I don't know why this is, especially in, in the Western mindset. We want everything to be black and white. It's, either, it's a law. It has to be like this or like this. There's a lot of things that are not like that. Even in the book of Acts, you see this, this truth begin to develop, and it becomes established and confirmed along the way. They were working things out. For example, in Acts chapter 15, and we're going to, this is a, just in case you haven't figured this out, <laughs> this is a very a sh a shotgun shell, this is an overview, and we're going to go through it in the next couple of weeks. In Acts chapter 15, they write this letter from Jerusalem. There was two base churches that there were two strong churches that everything was coming from, Jerusalem and Antioch. And they write this letter from Jerusalem, and they're saying, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, because they were working out how do we, how do we live life practically. And this is how they addressed it. It seemed good to us in the Holy Spirit. Today people will be like, well, that's not good enough. It's, it seemed good, really? Apostles? It seemed good to us in the Spirit for you to do this and that. Because everything was dictated by this relationship. They were going through things at multiple levels. There's this description in John 3.34. This is how Jesus operated. It said he had the Holy Spirit. He said he had the Spirit without measure. We have the Spirit with measure. But he had the Spirit with no measure, no lid, full expression. There is access to people, human beings, to Spirit without measure but it's through the path of obedience. It's not through the path of obedience out of fear because of some rule, please hear my heart, or some law. It's a spirit that can rest upon a person is through obedience for the devotion because of a relationship. Friends, that's how soldiers win war today. That's what strengthens them, relationships waiting. So, last attitude. 
they became convinced, absolutely convinced, that it was not about an earthly kingdom at that time with them. Meaning what? They employed no earthly means. You cannot fight this battle. You cannot walk this life with earthly ways, earthly thoughts. They became convinced of that. Think about this. In John chapter 18, this is why I'm saying we cannot be Christ, because obviously we cannot, but I believe with all my heart that Jesus operated on earth as a man filled with the Holy Spirit. But he has these moments where it kind of breaks out. In John chapter 18, when they come to arrest him, he said, are you, the, are you Jesus? He said, I am. That's a God statement, I am. It says, and all of the, the whole crowd fell down. All of a sudden, divinity, something just came out of him because it was a God statement, I am. And it, majesty came out and knocked everyone down. That's what it says. So uh, we're not him. But the Spirit is given to us all. This was a fundamental truth in the book of Acts. And I hope I haven't confused you today. But it's, it's, it's so important. When, when they came to do that, Peter took out his sword and cut off this guy's ear, Malchus. And Jesus says, basically, Peter, what are you doing? You're still using earthly means to, what are you doing? He said, if I don't do this, the, the scripture won't be fulfilled and they speak about it, right? He said, why are you doing that, Peter? He, he turns and he says a very interesting statement. He says, do you not realize, or do you not think, or do you not believe that I could call the Father for 12 legions of angels? What would he mean when he said that? A legion is 6,000 men in the Roman times. There's a story in the Old Testament of one angel killing 185,000 people. Do the math. 72,000 angels killing 185,000 people each. That's just not because he ran out of people. <laughs> what he was saying, it's very interesting. You do the math. That's 13.3 billion. What Jesus is saying is, Peter, I can take Earth's population like that. But I choose not to. Because I have to do what I'm doing as a man. And he says, and my kingdom is not of this world. And if I do it that way, the, the, the justice of God. Why, friends? Because the penalty that had to be paid had to be paid by a man. Please hear this. Extremely important. If it was paid by someone who did it out of divinity, you would still be stuck. Had to be paid by a man. He said that. My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight. So, I'm going to read you one thing, and then we'll be done. What was happening? That was, those were the attitudes, the nine attitudes that were going on in a person's heart. They were, in a sense, thinking this way, operating this way, walking this way. It was completely different to how many Christians think today. And so when we look at the book of Acts, those things God can bring into your heart, it's actually sometimes a deep form of repentance. Not, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. It's the changing of the way you think about everything, the way you were raised, the way you were taught to think, the way you think about whatever. And He becomes central focus. And you begin to walk with the Holy Spirit. And the way you deal with everything shifts. The way you deal with people, the way you deal with issues, the way you, everything changes. Because you have this mighty Spirit within you. It says, the same Spirit that rose Jesus Christ from the dead lives in you. And that was their focus. 
Practically, what was happening the day, and I'll just read this to you, there was infectious news that was spreading as fast as a plague. It was not something that people could hold back. Why? Jesus, who had spent three years, everyone knew who he was, he spent three years turning the world inside out, upside doing, upside down. They said in the Bible there was the amount of miracles that happened that there would not be books on the earth that could contain it. So we have some recorded. There were times when there were hundreds, maybe thousands, we don't know, of people, and it says all were healed. Imagine that. Did that for three years. Everyone knew who he was. This man died. Then he came back from the dead, and he walked around town. He was seen by over 500 people. News was spread. It was like an infectious plague. You could not stop it, friends. You could not stop it, even if you tried. They tried. They killed them. They beat them. They could. You cannot stop it. Then there was miraculous activity. Think about this from a Jewish mindset because we're only going to look for a while between Acts 1 to Acts 8, before Cornelius, before Gentiles. There was miraculous activity in the book of Acts for the first time in human history, happening from many people, not from one. First time in human history. It was always prophets, some prophet, maybe two. For the first time in human history, there's preponderance of people that are operating in the supernatural because of this man Jesus it's just spread like wildfire you can't stop that they obviously had to move away from the Jewish law like I said that looked like something there was an explanation that had to take place that he was not going to establish a kingdom here and now and what that meant so we'll end there I'm going to encourage you as a body, go home, and I know today was somewhat heady, but I, we have to just lay a platform because it's difficult to understand, it's difficult to embrace the book of Acts if we don't see how they thought. Really, I mean that. If we don't see, and, and some of the stuff is my best guess, I know that. And we didn't read a lot of the Bible. To, I prefer to read the scripture and teach the scripture. But as I've looked at this, there's so much of how they thought and how they worked and how they operated. And, and that is profoundly important as you begin to go into it. And so we're going to go into the book of Acts and just say, God, change us according to your word. Because we always say, Lord, we'd love to see that. And yeah, yeah, that would. And we see smatterings of it all around. But not like that. And that's a... It's a journey that we go on because it has to be a work of God in the heart. Why don't we stand? We'll go on this journey together. Amen.